Hello and welcome to That's So Craven. We are now streaming live on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube and Twitch. Make sure you follow us on all social media and subscribe to be notified when a live recording starts. Please, please, please share That's So Craven with your Fulham friends to keep our community growing. We hope you enjoyed today's episode and come on you whites. Freed from desire, mind and senses purified. Freed from desire, mind and senses purified. Freed from desire, mind and senses purified. Freed from desire. Hello and welcome to the That's So Craven podcast, your Fulham podcast from down under. We're here to discuss the Fulham-Sunderland FA Cup match. Fulham coming out 3-2 winners. I'm joined by Elton today. Unfortunately, no Sam, but Elton, how are we going? Yeah, good, thanks, Jack. Good to be here. So this was a, an overnight game for us over in Australia. Uh, a 4 a.m. kickoff, I think it was. Dad, did you get up for it? Uh, no, I cannot claim I did. I concur. It was uh, a step too far, I think. Another... 4 a.m. kickoff after last week's, and I think we've got another one yep. coming up in a few weeks' time as yep. well. It's uh, you you make the effort when it's a Chelsea game. I don't think you make the effort on a fourth round replay in the FA Cup. So this one got a hard skip from both of us. But woke up this morning, and for once, I didn't check my phone. Had no idea what the result was. Sat down with my my newborn daughter and watched the Fulham game from start to finish without skipping it. And uh, yeah, actually, really enjoyable cup cup tie. What were your thoughts on on the game yeah, in general? You're... Uh, well, I'm I'm thinking you're maturing with age, not knowing the <laughs> score and actually sitting down and enjoying it like exactly like you should. Yeah, it's tough, tough. What were your <laughs> thoughts on the game? Uh, look, uh, cup tie. You know, mm. we're we're at that funny stage where shall we, shan't we, shall we, shan't we kind of thing. And given where we are, given who we are, um, I thought. On balance, we actually played it pretty well. I think a lot of people would probably feel that we just got over the line, and technically we did. But on balance, I actually think we did exactly what we needed to do to get the job done. And we came out of it, no injuries, uh, no one overworked, job done on, on to yeah. the next round. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Well, let's let's actually talk through the lineup because this was probably the most interesting lineup that I think Marco's put out uh, this season at least um, where we saw a, a mix of rotation of resting first team players uh, and giving a few extra players a chance as well let's just walk through it from the back I think we all expected Rodak to start uh, I was surprised at seeing Kenny Tete starting um, and then also I guess seeing Shane Duffy start as well because he hasn't started at all this season um, and then Duffy was partnering Tosin at the back. I think we expected that and expected Kazawa to start as well. Dad, were you surprised to see some of those changes in the back line? D definitely. Um, I, like you said, I, I was surprised to see Kenny Tete start, but I think he's in such fine form. And whilst, whilst he's not recognised as, as being part of the sort of commanding central defence, he is obviously a very integral part of our form and and um, Fulham as a defensive unit. And I think you take him out every single time he's been missing, you take him out, um, we just don't look, we just don't look steady. Um, and the, the big question there is, you know, uh, just managing him and making sure that he, A, doesn't get an injury and B, has fresh legs for important fixtures coming up. 
Um, very surprised to see Duffy, and yeah, really surprised. Uh, not not surprised to see Tosin. Um, and I suppose maybe uh, maybe Silver wanted to if 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 Tete was left out, maybe Robinson would have started. Um, but if Robinson is rested, Tete starts just to give us that rock solid stability at the back. Because remember, no Ream um, and and no Leno in and command. No Diop as well. Yeah, that's right. So yeah. um, you know what? Uh, I actually thought I was quite surprised at the starting lineup because I thought having made it through to a, a replay that we didn't want, but knowing that the next round is against Leeds at home, you now know what you're dealing with and it's a real opportunity to get beyond that fifth round. Mm. And you'd think, in in my mind, I actually thought he'd throw the sink at it and to make a certainty of winning this game. And I actually thought it was a brave and bold move to put that starting lineup out. I really did because that's by no means a certain winning team that he put a lot of trust in a lot of players. Yeah, it's interesting. We'll get on to the rest of the lineup as well, but it's interesting. I, I think the point was made on Fulhamish actually, where they, you know, went around the room and asked, you know, do you throw the kitchen sink at it and put out a full team or do you rotate? And um, the views were fairly split, but one of the, one really good point made, and I unfortunately can't remember who made it was, we're a Premier League team. The squad should be good enough that you put in your complete second 11, effectively, and they should be good enough to beat a championship team. So really, we should be able to rotate the majority of this team out and still get a victory. And if we look at the, the rest of the lineup, we the only other real starter in the 11 was Jaapolinia. Um, we had Kearney sit alongside Polinia, and obviously Kearney's made an appearance in every Premier League game so far this season, but they have all been off the bench as a role player. And then you had Luke Harris stepping up and making a, a start uh, in Pereira's sort of preferred position. I did notice that Harris, Wilson and Solomon, who also started on the wings, were um, sort of moving around between positions and switching up fairly often. There were a couple of times I saw Luke Harris playing wide right and Wilson taking up the central spot. And then a few times Solomon was out on the right and Wilson had moved across to the left. So they obviously had a bit of freedom to move around. And then I don't think we were surprised to see Vinicius start either. So it was quite a mixed 11, really, where the only genuine starters in a you know a first 11 Premier League team were Tete and Jaapolinia. So you, you could say that Silva did put faith in effectively a second 11. But if you look at the bench, the bench is complete first 11. There's no youth players there for experience. The bench sort of sent a bit of a message for me where you've got nine players on the bench. The only person who doesn't start every game on that bench is Dan James, who has a job off the bench. Um, you Reed, Mitrovic, Decadova Reed, Leno, Pereira, Willian, Diop, Robinson and James on the bench. That's a very, very strong, full-strength bench. So that, to me, sent a message from Silva that if we went 1-0 down and we were chasing the game... The, the cavalry would come on and save the day. And we did see a bit of rotation later in the game. Do you think it was right for Silva to, to make this many changes to the 11? It's basically nine changes to the starting 11. One of the features of following this Fulham team for me is the 
intrigue and uh, joy of watching the way Marco Silva moves the chess pieces. <clears throat> and, you know, what he... What he's done here is, is is quite a bold move, as I said, because we do know there's a relatively, not easy, but very, very achievable pathway beyond the fifth round now. We, we knew going into this game what we were dealing with, and he didn't panic, and he's gone, I'm putting out a second 11, and back to your comment, you know, uh, that, that the um, Fulhamish guys were discussing, that... We're a Premier League side. We're, we're top half of the table Premier League side. We should be able to put out a second eleven and beat a mid-table championship. That's all true and should be true, but I don't think anyone would put money on that. You know, it's Sunderland mm. at home, and if you were serious about progressing and not half-hearted about it, you wouldn't bank on a second eleven and a bunch of kids on the bench. You just wouldn't do it. And so I thought, I thought he actually played it really well. Once again, he actually played it well. He's given Vinicius an opportunity. He's given Luke Harris that we've been calling for, uh, for time for him. He's given him an opportunity. Harry Wilson starts, which is a natural progression to what's been happening over the last few weeks. And, you know, if, if other people had start. <clears throat> <clears throat> excuse me, started losing faith in Harry Wilson's comeback or the statement that he's trying to make in the Premier League. Silver said, go and do it. Mm. Um, you know, um, I, I, I thought is it, I thought it was a brave starting eleven for a game that clearly was important for us to win. We wanted to win it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's quite obvious that a cup run is is sort of on the cards and when you know what's happening in the next round, and I think I heard a comment last night that there's only five Premier League teams left in the FA Cup now. Um, so you know that we're through the fifth round without having to hit a Premier League team. In the quarterfinals, you've got, what, four games, um, five, five Premier League teams. Realistically, there's only there's there's the potential for all the Premier League teams bar two to miss each other. And so you do have quite a clear run to the final at that point where you could not play another Premier League team until the semifinals of the FA Cup, at which point, you know, we're, we're hoping it's a it's a mid-table Premier League team and you have a chance. You obviously don't want to come up against, a, you know, one of the top four, but it's, it's looking more and more likely this year. And it's good to see that Silva is, in a way, taking this seriously. And I think when we come up against Leeds in, in the next round... We'll, we'll really get an understanding of how seriously he's taking it if he puts oh, out a full. No, come on, he's, he's he's got to put out a full team against Leeds. He's not going to blow that. Hope so, but you never you never know. If we go on a bad run in the league, he may say, you know, actually we're just going to rest a few players, and I can't chance Mitro because he took a bit of a knock in the last game, and maybe it's a chance for Vinicius sure. to get a few extra minutes. So it's it's hard to say, and you you just have to wait until until the game itself. When is that um, fifth round? Uh, uh, the weeks. Is the 28th of February, 7.45 yeah. GMT on a Tuesday night. So it's a 3.45 kickoff yeah. on a Wednesday, uh, 1st of yeah. March, uh, 6.45 for the East Coast over here in Australia. Um, it probably will be one that I bother to get up for, actually, though, because I think we're starting to get to the big games now where, where things start to happen. So uh, it might be worth getting up for that one, I think. 
anyway, on to the game itself. Um, so as we said before, Fulham 3, Sunderland 2. Um, I'd say the scoreline potentially flattered Sunderland, maybe a little. Obviously, they scored in the final minutes. Um, Fulham probably had the better chances, I'd say. And the, the goals they scored, although good goals, I think there were a couple of little giveaways. Kazawa slipping for that final goal definitely um, gave him... I mean, it was a good finish still, but it, it made life a lot easier for him. Um, <clears throat> let's have a quick look at the goals. Uh, so Wilson's first. Here we go. I'll just pop it up on our live stream here. In this game, and that, that I think is evidence of the, uh, the initial cup tie that was drawn and... There's Vinicius to lay it back for Wilson, who finds the target. There's a huge release for him. Patterson will be frustrated. So pretty simple goal there for Harry Wilson. He actually takes it very well, though. Um, ball's played in from Tete on the right. Kazawa, for some reason, is up in the box. Um Puts in a, a header. The ball is basically not cleared properly by the Sunderland defence. I thought Vinicius did very, very well, though. Held up the ball really nicely. Waited for Wilson to get into position. Lays it off to Wilson. He hits it with the outside of his left. It's not the best strike. He gets yeah. good contact, but it's not into the corner. The keeper should have done better. He gets a full palm to it and can't keep it out, even though it wasn't travelling very fast at all. Um, Dad, did yeah. you think was a bit of a soft one for Sunderland to concede? I, d I did. I think it was a very, you know, look, he, he found the back of the net and I'm really glad for Harry Wilson that he scored. Um, but it was it was a pretty tentative effort, to be honest. I mean, I, I, I know um, he kind of tried to place it. It wasn't a confident. He could have put laces through that, right, mm. and made absolutely certain of it. But... He really placed it. Keeper got half a hand to it, or soft hand, and I, you know, um, I I back someone like Leno to keep to, to parry that actually and keep that wide. Yeah. Um, but um, look, all credit and and to your point, um, I thought Vinicius didn't have a great game, but he did that well. He did hold it up very well and lay it off. And to your point also that you mentioned, you know. What has a striker got to do? He, he, he's got to be involved in either creating or scoring goals, and that's all he has to do. It doesn't matter if he does pretty much nothing else in the game. I think a lot of managers ha would have a lot of beef with that, but I, t I take your point because if he has three touches and they result in in, in goals or assists on, go on goals, he's done a great job. But I, th I thought overall, uh, look... Um, don't mind, don't mind scoring at the eighth minute and setting the tone. Um, but, yeah, it, it wasn't an amazing goal. Is that too hard? Uh, I don't think it's, it's harsh. I think, at, at, in a way, it's a really smart goal because he doesn't try and put his laces through it because he's obviously not got the confidence for that at the moment. And so he, he does try and place it. I, I'm saying he doesn't actually place it that well and the keeper should do better. Um, mm. And I think to follow up from that goal, in the first half, there were two other opportunities where Wilson had shots on goal and should have done better. One was straight down the yeah. middle. Another one was over, either over or wide. I can't remember. But very similar where he it was wide, Placing. actually shot wide of the far post. It, it, similar where yeah. he 
was driving at goal, really good opportunity, has a clear shot, should do better both times. If he was, if he was on my chaise launch, uh, having a having a <laughs> a, a psychological uh, session, I'd be saying there's a confidence problem there still. Yeah, I, I think it is. I think it's in part a bit of confidence, in part a bit of rustiness. Um, he, he should he should do better there, and I think. We, we're still waiting to see the Harry Wilson from last season who was completely ripping up every team he came up against and scoring goals for fun. And he just looks like he's lost that little spark. And I'm hopeful he can get it back because we know that when he does, he's a very good player. And although I don't think he's part of the first 11 at the moment, I think if he gets back to that kind of form, he, he will be pushing the first 11 and at least be... A, a very, very good player to come off the bench in the last 15, 20 minutes to, to give you some options. So I, I think I, we've got a lot more to see. I hope see it happens. Time. I hope it happens. Yeah, agree. 100% agree. Um, look, Sunderland d- didn't look bad, but I, I'd say they didn't look quite as good for for the majority of the game as they did when they played us at Craven Cottage. I think they were really up for it, and I think this might have just been a step too far. And Fulham just seemed to show a bit more poise um, they, they understood Sunderland's game plan a little better, which was to come and disrupt. And I think we played through it a lot easier. And it might have been one of the reasons why Shane Duffy actually came into the team, just to add a little bit more beef at the back and almost not get bullied around and have a bit of a smarter head down the back. Um, so went into half time at 1-0. Dad, were you thinking this one was looking pretty comfortable at the time? Or did you think we started to be a little bit wary of Sunderland, you know, causing us a few few issues? I think we've all come to know that Fulham being one goal up pretty much at any stage of the of the game other than, you know, uh, one minute left on the clock is never enough. Um, look, I think, I think for the first half an hour, we controlled the ball. Once we settled into it, it was a funny old pitch. It seemed be a funny surface it was bobbling around it was windy the conditions were not craven cottage mm. and it was it was not really that suitable for our style of football and mm. so once we adjusted to that i thought we controlled the game really really well and then for me it's it's that uh cohesive unit that plays together all the time that keep each other honest and keep each other focused and in the game and talk Mm. to each other and communicate. We lost that. We drifted in and out. Groups of players drifted in and out of the game. I thought Tom, Tom Kearney was sublime for that first Mm. half an hour. If not, if not for the whole game. Yeah. I was going to say for one and a half halves, if that's a thing, 60 minutes, Uh, he was really good. And he, he really is the master of, that's probably unfair to say he's the master of that standard of football uh, because he's actually done so much more than that off the bench in the Premier League at the highest of levels. But that's that sort of game is, you know, perfect for Tom Kearney. He was creative. He was dominant. He looked really confident. He spread the ball beautifully. He was just, just bossed it, absolutely ran the game. Mm. And, um, yeah, uh, look, but in answer to your question, was I concerned? Look, it's it's you're, you're playing at the Stadium of Light. They're really up for it. They're, they've got great support. And you only had to notice, and when we were controlling the game, it was silent in there. It was silent. And I, 
otherwise really noisy stadium. And as soon as they did something or pressed us or got in behind us, the crowd suddenly erupted. And I always mm. had that feeling that at any moment the crowd could lift them to do something really totally against the run of play and quite miraculous and really cause us a problem and suddenly be back into the game. And all it would need would be one moment of brilliance uh, or magic to, to, you know, give us a real problem. So yeah. one nil half time, no, never confident, never confident at all. Yeah, well, in fact, in fact, I'd have to well. say, Jack. In fact, I'd have to say that for the degree to which we controlled the game, and this is a recurring theme, for the degree to which we controlled the game, we didn't get enough out of that first half. We 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 should have actually scored, you know, two maybe even three goals, given the the difference in quality between the two sides. Yeah, I, I think that's that's very fair. Uh, like you say, I, it's. Um... Sunderland did put up a good fight, and I think when you've got a team out there that's not your normal first eleven as well, you're probably more vulnerable to having a team like Sunderland, especially come out at the start of the second half and really, yep. you know, boss the game and get on top of you and score a quick goal, and, and things can happen. Very and get the crowd quickly. moving. And get the crowd moving, mm. which is a oh, it's a twelfth man there. Seriously, oh, sure. but we what we do know is we came out in the second half and, uh, well, we, we scored the second goal uh, to go 2-0 up. Uh, let's pull it up on the stream now and have a quick look. Now, I have to apologise in advance. This is the uh, Brazilian stream audio, but it actually probably makes the Pereira goal slightly better. Let's have a look. Olha o Mitrovic. Voltou, recebeu de volta. Bateu, defendeu o Patterson. <laughs> do Andreas Pereira, mas a jogada toda ela do Mitrovic. Ele... <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> um, but a really good goal. It has to be said, well worked by by Mitro there, who obviously put the put the first shot on goal, but reacted really well to the save to then follow up, pass the ball to Pereira, who had a very simple tap-in at that point. I don't know if you saw in the background of that video as well, Mitro, falling over the advertising hoarding, tumbling backwards. Mm. Mm. Definitely worth a watch. It's all over Twitter this morning, so make sure you uh, you jump up and have a look at that one. I have to say what you didn't mention is that, again, I thought really decisive, smart move, Silver, grabbed the game by the scruff mm. of the neck because it was, it was on a – is that a – if you like, a, a very, very interesting point where if they scored – I don't know, the 60th, 50th, 60th minute, we've got a problem. And now he's got to throw everyone on to sort of salvage something out of this game or win it rather. Um, yeah. And he makes a change at half time, and he brings on Pereira and Mitrovic. Um, and, you know, they're, they're both involved in that, that goal. Um, so really, really good move, smart move, uh, Silva, to actually bring that about. Mm. I think uh, we, you know, we've probably been not harsh, but we've mentioned multiple times that Silver occasionally waits a little too long to make subs. I do think he probably bit the bullet a little bit early on bringing off Luke Harris, so I didn't think he played that badly. I could totally understand why um, Vinicius got taken off because I think he just didn't get himself into the game 
fully. And if you're looking to try and clinch a game, bringing on Mitro made the difference. He, he did make the difference completely. You see the difference there instantly where the fact that he's making the good runs, he's getting through and getting shots on goal. Look, I, I you know, I'm very happy that um, Harris got a run, got an opportunity, got a half. Mm. But in all fairness, without being overcritical, I thought he didn't have an impact on the game. Um, yeah. I, I thought he, he, he wasn't, there was no embarrassment. Um, Skill-wise, absolutely up to it. But a lot of his moves were when he when he actually collected the ball, he spread it, he knocked it back. He he didn't pick up the ball, carry it forward, and start any uh, dangerous looking moves. Whereas yeah. you compare that to Pereira, mm. different level, different well, different level of danger. Say, what I was going to say is, you, you know, you're you're compare you're having to compare him to Pereira, who, like you said, is is dangerous and pushes forward and has been in top form this season. And it's always hard because whenever you replace a player in a lineup, you expect a like for like. And we see it often. Uh, I think we get some frustration sometimes when you see Kenny come on for Harrison Reed in certain games where you want them to play like Harrison Reed, but he's not Harrison Reed and he's never going to be like Harrison Reed. And same with. Um, Kazawa coming in for Robinson, you you expect someone who's been bombing up the line all season and you get Kazawa. It's kind of hard to adjust to how they play. Um, they have completely different strengths. And so when Harris came in, he's obviously incredibly talented, but he's just not the same style of player as Pereira. He's very skillful and tricky. Luke Harris is a bit more of a workhorse who, you know, pushes forward, gets in good positions, uh, but I wouldn't say he's he's quite got the the foot skills that Pereira has, which isn't a slight against him in any way. I think Pereira is just incredibly skillful, and I think you needed someone with that little cutting edge like Pereira in the game last night to make the difference, and and he did. It's a great so a, a great substitution at the right time, really decisive, hmm. and yeah, I was very happy to see that. Again, nothing against Luke Harris, but he's not he's not Pereira. Uh, not long after that, we saw a couple more substitutions as well. And I think having gone two 0 up, these were a these were definitely tactical substitutions to rest these players. The two starters, uh, Tete and Japolina, both got subbed off in the 65th minute. Um, Fulham, I believe, scored in the let's just pull it up again the 59th minute. So, you know, five minutes after going two 0 up, just making sure we didn't have a a little bounce back from Sunderland there. We made those subs so. Polina off for Reed and Decadover over Reed coming on for Tete. Made sense for me. Good subs by Marco. Gave those guys a few extra minutes as well in their legs and gave Polina and Tete a chance to have a bit of rest. Oh, like oh, I keeping, obviously keep, need that on. Keeping <laughs> you up there, Jack. Um, oh, what, what did you think of uh, What did you think of Solomon's game? Uh, yeah, look, we'll. we'll well, we can touch on it right now, I guess. He he got subbed off in the 80th minute. It's just the two he, of us. It's just the two of us. I thought he had a <laughs> I thought he had a good game. Um, but and I I saw a tweet literally just just before we started saying I, I do I think Solomon is a great player and he had a really good game, but I, I starting to understand why Silver isn't putting him straight into the starting lineup at the moment. His his end product isn't quite there at the moment, and that is hopefully just down to rustiness. Um and also, as I said to you before we started recording as well, I just think he was 
he wasn't putting in the crosses I was hoping he'd be putting in. Uh, a few too many times he cut inside and then played the ball out wide to the other winger when actually I would have liked to see him maybe just take on the defender and then put in a cross because especially when you're playing with Mitro up front, which he will be, hopefully, um, you want to put those balls into the box. And I just don't think he was giving any service to the striker. Um, so maybe I'm gonna, just because he, he wasn't I, getting the service. I'm going to defend Solomon here and say that I think we haven't seen the best of him because he hasn't played a massive role in a starting position with our best lineup. And I think, you know, he's, he's clearly, clearly skillful enough. He's, he's, he's got a good brain on him as well. He's got good vision. He's got that awareness that, you know, gets the ball, he distributes the ball really quickly and he knows where, pe where people are. He's mm. confident enough. He looks fit. He looks sharp. And I'm going to say that you combine him with, you know, other midfielders or, 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 or you know, uh, with Pereira and knowing that Mitrovic is up in the box. Someone like him running into the box, running at defenders and actually passing the ball in close quarters to Mitrovic, I think, I think he would – I think we'd see another side of him when he is ready and Silver is ready to start him. I really, mm -hmm. I really do. Yeah, I, I, look, I, I think we, for me, Solomon is a starter. I, I'd like to see him, even if he's slightly undercooked at the moment, I'd still like to see him thrust into the starting lineup because I think he's exciting. And having our normal first level playing around him, I think will benefit him as well. He's not had a chance to have a proper long knockout with the starting eleven. So I think after getting 80 minutes in his legs this week, I, I wouldn't be overly surprised if we saw him start against Forrest on the weekend. Um, but we'll, we'll wait and see. It's hard to say. Um, I'll, I'll throw one back at you because um, it's another one we were talking about just before we started. Uh, Shane Duffy, first start for Fulham, and you know he's had very, very limited minutes. What were your thoughts on his overall performance, including the fact that he cleared a ball off the line, which we, we're starting to see happen week in, week out at the moment? I thought he had an outstanding game. And I thought it was a real revelation because, you know, he he's not preferred and it's probably fair behind Diop and Tosin uh, and Reem. Um, but I thought, look, there were a couple of rusty moments. He, he didn't pick the, the, the sort of rub of the green, if that's the right turn of phrase or the pace of the, the pitch early, and he, he undercooked a, a very early pass that nearly ended up in a problem. Um, and there were a couple of long long balls that he played, one of which went out. But So mm -hmm. he's, he's definitely short of that kind of match fitness or match slickness, if you like. But I thought he'd acquitted himself really, really well, and I think he did himself no disservice in actually showing the management that, you know, if, if something happened, if Tosin was injured, I think he steps up very admirably as, as a backup there for um, certainly a comfortable player off the bench uh, mm. in a Premier League game. 
and maybe more. I thought he was really good. I thought he had a very experienced head on his shoulders. We were talking mm -hmm. about that previously as well. He looked comfortable. He looked confident. He looked in command. I really liked what I saw, and I thought he was a standout um, non-Premier League starter last mm. night. Yeah. Um, I mean, apart, know, from, apart from Tom Kearney, who I think was outstanding. Yeah, but Tom Kearney's Tom, Tom proven at Premier League level. Okay, <laughs> he has a particular role. Um, but I thought – I don't think there was any surprise at how well Tom Kearney played. played. Yeah. But I, yeah. I thought Duffy was did really well, really yeah. well. No, I agree. He stepped out of defence quite a few times and made really key interceptions that I thought were really impressive. And, you know, for, I, I, I've always thought we signed him as a bit of a bruiser to come on in the last five minutes to defend the lead. That performance, to me, puts him alongside Tosin as our backup centre-back. And totally. I'd say Raymond, Raymond Diop seemed to have the, the starting positions tied down. But I, I now see a genuine use for Duffy to come in and replace Ream if needed, um, replace Diop if needed. I think Tosin offers something in his ball-playing ability, but we saw a couple of really great long balls from Duffy during the game as well. Um, I, I was really impressed, and maybe it's just because he's a permanent Fulham player now. He's all of a sudden um, cut ties with Brighton and become an even better player because he's no longer associated with them. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it out there and say that that was a career-defining moment for oh, him for at Fulham. a 31-year-old. Um, no, no, well, for he's, him, he's at, a, at, he's at on, Fulham. He's on a six-month contract. So, uh, I mean, I, I, at least I would say that, that to me, Marco Silva should be looking at that performance going, yeah, I'm going to extend that contract for 12 months because I want you as my backup centre-back. But, you know, so, if Fulham finish... Hey, hang, finish on, hang, eight, hang on a second, I'm... I'm taking I'm taking umbrage with you cutting me off there. No, no. I said, I if, if I, I said career defining moment for his tenure at Fulham because I, I think he was very much considered to be a you know like a third line defender. Do we keep? Do we extend his loan? Uh, reluctantly, we make him permanent so that we can actually you know bring uh, Cedric in, all that kind of stuff. He just wasn't for me. Um, a, a very important member of the squad. I, I think he he really does something to his his uh, stakes. Yeah, I, I agree. He definitely felt a little bit like fodder previously, um, who's you know bulking out your defensive options. But at the end of the day, I think if we finish eighth at the end of this season, or, or even tenth at the end of the season, and prove that we're a capable Premier League side. I, I don't think Duffy's going to have another 12 months added to his contract because realistically we're going to be going in for much better defenders than Tosin and Diop and Ream. Um, so or as, as good as Duffy was last night and as good as he has a potential to be, he, he's never going to be much more than a backup. So I don't think it's going to yeah. be career-changing for him. And I, I, I would like to see him um, extend his contract and maybe get another year in there. Um, is it going to happen? I'm not 100% sure just because I think his contract's going to run out. And the only way that we would extend his contract is if, for example, Tosin was sold to Inter Milan, which we'll talk about a little bit later as a possibility. Um, if Tosin left and we didn't bring in enough backup options, I think then I can see a reason for Duffy to have an extension. But apart from that, realistically, he's a, he's a, a one-season player, which is fine because those one-season players can, can make a big 
big impact. Oh, no spoilers. Hasn't seen the highlights. Oh, Williams uh, just joined in. Oh, good. Just kidding. It's probably a little bit late, unfortunately, William. No spoilers. Haven't seen the highlights. Um, but what we'll do, we'll, having talked about Shane Duffy, uh, I'll skip forward to the final goal for Fulham. Um, Sunderland had pulled one back in the 77th minute, but five minutes later, uh, Lewin Kazawa somehow scores his second Fulham goal. He loves playing in the FA Cup, FA Cup specialist. It's poor quality, but let's have a quick look at the goal. Or not? No? Okay, never mind. Goal's not playing. Anyway, ball gets played in, um, headed back in from a corner. Shane Duffy goes up, wins the header. The ball drops to Kazawa, who lashes the ball into the uh, into the roof of the net. A really good finish, actually, from Kazawa, who now has two Fulham goals to his name, both in the FA Cup, both against Sunderland. Um, Dad, good finish? Yeah, good reaction. Um, and, you know, I, I'm, I'm happy for the guy. Um, I, he, he, I don't think he had an amazing game. Um, and I think that I think we now have a much better sense of what he offers. Mm. Um, he's not he's not Robinson, but he's certainly not um, the disappointment of Kevin Mbabu without dumping on poor Kevin. But look, he he did a job and it was adequate. Although there were a couple of lines fluffed for sure, there were a couple of pretty average passes into dangerous areas um which i don't know what i don't know if you can pass that off as a lack of match fitness but it was certainly a lack of match awareness and it looked concerning yeah i i actually think it was because i was best game so far he, he looked much sharper than he has done previously i think he's looked really off the pace recently and he got skinned multiple times by Patrick Roberts in the first game. This time round, he looked like he had a lot uh, a lot more awareness and his positioning confidence. was better. And confidence. And confidence. confidence he, well. he, was, he was good on the ball. He made some good passes, although a few slightly undercooked. Um, he drove forward quite well. Um, mm. His defending was good. He made a couple of good interceptions, key interceptions as well. And um, I, I think he had a good game. Um, William's asking here, all the chat around is that Kazawa had a better game going forward than sitting back defending accurate. I actually think his game defensively was, well, it's definitely the best he's been defensively. He did offer more going forward, and I still compare him in some way to Sessegnon, who got himself into the box often from left back and got himself in good positions. And the first goal is in part down to the fact that Kazawa had himself in the box challenging for the ball and Sunderland were unable to clear, and it ended up falling to Vinicius, who managed to lay it off. So he's definitely doing some things right, and I can see having him in the team is a bit of a benefit, but he just doesn't offer the same thing that Robinson does, and our style of play seems to hinge so so much on Robinson bombing down the wing. And Tete, kind of not bombing as such, Tete, but we lay the ball back to Tete a lot, who then puts in really good crosses, and... I haven't seen many great crosses yet from Kazawa. He was starting to put a few more in, but it it's, doesn't seem to be a strength of his game. I don't know if you think any different to that. I think there's a quality difference, uh, an appreciable Absolutely. quality difference between Robinson and and um, uh, Kazawa. 
and, and, and even moving forward in an attack, Robinson is much more effective. I think mm. it's as simple as that, really. I, I agree with you. He had his best game, but I don't think he's challenging Robinson for a spot and he's not pressing him. Yeah, all, all, I, all I got out of that is that he's, he's actually he's showing that he's a better, I don't know, a, a, he's improving as a backup. Yeah. But that's as far as it goes. Which is not the worst thing in the world when we look at, you know, Duffy and Tosin, same. I think they're both improving as backups every time they get an appearance. And Wilson is is not himself, but he's improving as a backup and giving minutes to Kearney. When you play like that, I mean, geez, it's tough to leave him out of the starting eleven in the Premier League when you put in a performance like that. Um, mm. I think Rodak had a fairly decent game as well, although obviously considered two goals. Um, let's have a quick hey, look. At it, yeah, no. I thought I thought I thought Rodak actually made one or two very good saves. Actually, to yeah, be fair. he did. Um, one of them was a deflected shot, which he got a really strong fist to and and pumped away. Came out a few times as well for crosses and put in a strong fist. So I think Rodak had a good game. He's obviously still um, he's not Burnt Leno, but he had a good game definitely. Um, let's have a quick look at some of the stats in the game. These. I think don't tell the whole story. 19 shots from Sunderland. I can't remember them having that many shots, but obviously only six of those on target. Fulham scored three goals from their five shots on target, which is obviously a really good outcome for us. Not many corners in the game, which just proves that a lot of those shots on goal were going a fair way wide and fairly even on the amount of fouls. I thought the referee was very lenient, giving only one yellow card for the whole game, which went to Shane Duffy. Um there were quite a few tackles, I thought, that probably warranted a, a caution and um, players got away with it. But anyway, the outcome of that is that we're into the fifth round. So we'll be playing Leeds in the fifth round, as we mentioned, on the Tuesday, 28th of February, 7.45pm kickoff in the UK. As I said, the 3.45 kickoff here in Perth, Australia, 6.45 for the East Coast. Um, should be a really good game, and I'm, I'm hoping that we can make it through to the quarterfinals. Or for actually, is it the quarterfinals or straight to the sixth round? I'm not even 100 percent sure, but either way, I'm hoping that Fulham will be progressing from from this one. I, I'd say Leeds at the moment obviously just lost their manager; they're in a little bit of disarray, and uh, it could be a good time to to take on a side like Leeds. They do have some really good players. I was really impressed by, I think it's um, I think his name is Crescencio Somerville. Um, who scored against us. He was a, a very decent player. And little comment from there, Will, obviously, fingers crossed, I've got the day off work for this one. Yep, uh, we feel you here in, in Australia. Are we hoping I'll be working from home the next In fact, I definitely will be working from home the next day. So that that's uh, almost guaranteeing my uh, my watching of that game. So, look, let's move on from the FA Cup game. Um we will be discussing the Nottingham Forest game tomorrow. Sam's going to join me for a podcast and we can go over that game. But now we're going to move on to Elton's top tweets from the last few days. Dad, why don't you run us through these ones? Oh, William in Australia as well. Thanks for letting us know, Will. Um, yeah, definitely need a day off for, for those late night games. So I'm glad you feel our pain, William. <laughs> um, cool. Elton. Top tweets. Walk us through your top tweets from the last week or so. Yeah, and I have to say, since uh, you, you uh, dropped the responsibility of um, scouring uh, Twitter, uh, my screen time's probably gone up by about 400%. Uh, 
and uh, I'm not sure if that's a good thing. But um, yeah, the, look, the, the, this is just a bit of a final wrap um, on the Chelsea uh, return fixture, and I want to shout out uh, Jack and Loz who write a wonderful. Um, very, very romantic and poetic and, uh, you know, use of beautiful metaphors, blog. I, I do enjoy reading um, their content, and it's a nice addition to, um, to, to, to what's sitting out there on Twitter and uh, out there in the public in general. So thanks for that. And they say that Chelsea bought this – this is a nice line. Uh, Chelsea bought the players and they bought the headlines, but they couldn't buy a win against Fulham. All the money in the world can't buy how it feels to be a Fulham fan in 2023. Here, here. Um, and then there's a, obviously a link to their blog. Um, I thought that was a, a, a nice little turn of phrase and absolutely sums up how uh, we are feeling about the season we're having. And yeah. uh, again, big shout out to, to, to Jack and Loz for yeah, um, a very different style of content from you know the, the the usual more journalistic or humorous tweets and content that's out there. Yeah, I agree with that. Their their um their blog is a must read for any Fulham fan. Like you say, it's it's very different to just reading articles on the game where you know you talk about how good a certain player was or you know step by step what happened through the match. It's it's nice to read something that is a little bit more poetic and a. Um, especially I find living overseas and not being able to be at the games, they, they manage to describe the feeling of being at Craven Cottage or being in an away game really, really well um, and yeah. eloquently. And it's it's a really enjoyable read. And we're hoping to have Jack and Loz on the podcast in the coming weeks, months. Um, so definitely keep an eye out for that because uh, we're really looking forward to getting them on. And hopefully if anyone has any questions they want to ask Jack and Loz, uh, we'd be more than happy to do that on your behalf as well. Uh, moving on, what have we got here? Yeah, yeah. So this is a, a a bit of an aggregate of some of the commentary around <clears throat> transfer news, and this is sort of flowing on from the the January window. Um, and here's a collection of a few different tweets. Uh, one of them from White Noise, who we we definitely. Um, uh, I was going to say recognised, but we 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 shouted out last last week. And for those of you who don't know, um, you know, White Noise is is a massive contributor to content, um, particularly on Twitter. He calls himself a curator, and a, and and I, think, I can't remember exactly what the turn of phrase was, but he's a curator and a and a sharer. But he he does an enormous amount of retweeting. And he's literally become my most um, solid way of finding Fulham news. I just have a look at his retweets because he's actually capturing pretty much everything that's going to be of interest to me. And the first one here is uh, a comment that uh, Fulham reportedly put a £35 million price tag on Anthony Robinson. Uh, and just a question to the audience of uh, whether they think that's a fair valuation. I think what's interesting um, about the price tag, it's just a comment here from William saying, I'm not liking this chat about putting a price on Robinson. I hope the club is entertaining the thought of sending him on his way. I hope the club at the club is entertaining the thought. Or maybe he means I hope the club's not entertaining the thought. Mm. Um, look, 
I think in the light, without diving into um, what's happening at Man City at the moment with the recent FIFA announcements, um, I, I wonder, I wonder if um, you know they are up for spending some more money in the short term. Uh, look, I know, I know, we bought Anthony Robinson for a song a couple of years ago, and I think these sort of things always come down to whatever his value might be in real terms, he has a certain value to the top three clubs in England or maybe four who will spend anything on the player they want. And it's typically way, way, way over market. And then it's a matter of what he's worth to us and how much we need him in the absence of a replacement. So it's a bit of a funny one. You know, would we bank the profit um, purely because we stand to make arguably, you know, more than £30 million on the tra- the, 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 the net trade of what we bought and, and sell um, Robinson for. I don't know that unless we had someone in the bag, I don't know that we'd sell him right now for £35 million, would we? I don't know. What do you think, Joe? Uh, I, I probably agree that I don't think we would sell him without a target in mind. But at the same time, um, you look at what Brighton do really really well i use brighton as an example because they do it so well where they buy players really cheaply who aren't well known and then they sell them on for massive amounts and i think we have the ability in the back room with with the work that um tony khan's been doing and the whole scouting team as well and marco silva too in getting these players like robinson for i think it was two million we picked him up for tete for three million Polina for 20, Pereira for I can't remember how much. You know, we're picking up guys who can play Premier League level for very small amounts. If you give us 35 million into the pot in addition to what we would already have, I'm sure we could find a replacement for Robinson. It's just about if we feel like Robinson is a good enough player for effectively a top six club, um, then do we work really hard to keep him? Or do we look at it more of um, as more of a business and say this is too good to turn down? How often do you get ten times the value for a player? That's like picking up Polina for twenty and selling him for two hundred. Um, that would be way too good to turn down. And I think financially, it sort of makes sense, especially when you look at things like FFP, where that three million that we spent for Robinson is then offset by thirty-five million coming in for him it would be kind of too hard to turn down, I think, at that point. So I'd hate to see him leave, but I wouldn't be overly surprised if someone came in for $35 million for him if we accepted it. Sure. No, totally. And then, you know, it's, it's, it's really the balance from a fan perspective. We like what he's doing um, from a, a, a team and a competitive perspective. Obviously, we wouldn't simply sell him without having a decent foot on a replacement of equal or better quality. Um, so, yeah, anyway, that I, I think I, I, I simply wanted to highlight the fact that that um, news and commentary and discussion is out there. Mm. And obviously it's a watch this space. And then, um, uh, you know, moving on to uh, a comment from uh, Russ Goldman from uh, Cottage Talk, um, who says... How concerned should we be 
with a reported interest in two Fulham defenders, which is obviously just carrying on from that story uh, because Fulham News reports that Inter Milan are looking at, at Tosin as a potential replacement for uh, I don't, can't even pronounce that name. I can't see it clearly. Skriniar. Skriniar. Um, and, yeah, I, I'm sure a number of you saw that. And, again, I think I think our comment would be um, it is a business. If the price is right, surely everyone's for sale. But from a fan perspective, provided we're not left in the lurch, we just bank the profit and we don't have a suitable replacement. Mm. I think Tosin's is probably slightly different as well, where he he's more of a backup player compared to Robinson, who's a genuine starter. And we'd probably feel like we we lost a big part of the squad if we lost Robinson. I think you could probably get away with losing Tosin and bring in another young centre-back to replace him. Um, it was slightly different, but at the same time, again, I think if the price was right, then I could see mm. the transfer going through. <clears throat> I don't think there's a likelihood of us losing him cheap unless he doesn't extend his contract because obviously he's he put a small extension in, meaning his contract runs out at the <clears> end of next season. So it's it's very yeah. possible that Fulham look to cash in on him um, in the summer, sure. knowing he's only got twelve months left on his contract. Wouldn't be wouldn't be overly surprised to see that happen either. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, just back to uh, you know the originators of this content. Thanks also to Fulham Fan News and and to Russ at uh, Cottage Talk for really um, creating a lot of content for all of us to follow, and we appreciate that. And, and full long, of focus long may as continue. well. Absolutely, yep. Which, as you can Absolutely. see in the little screenshot there, White Noise retweeted as well, which I'm sure is where you actually picked up that bit of content from. Yeah, no, 100%. <laughs> I, do, another I, one. I, I, do, I do see the, the full of focus <laughs> uh, feed, but I, I I just have a look at White Noise. He, re, he retweets loads of good stuff. Now, this is, this is one of my favourite Twitter accounts, Cottage Analytica, huge, huge fan. Walk yeah. me through this one. Yeah, yeah. so um, what this is uh, is the full projected table um, for where things are likely to end up at the end of the season, which, uh, and, I'll, and I'll read them out, from, from position number eight, Chelsea, ninth, Brentford, tenth, Fulham. Um, and, and I think there's a number of um, different different pieces of analysis that's kind of speculating or simulating that that's where we might end up. Um, look, from where we sat a week ago in the sixth position, um, that seems like um, the season's kind of petered out to end up at 10th. But literally a couple of days after the Chelsea game, we, we were in at 8th. And that's probably about fair for our, our run of form in the last four or five games. And so I, I suspect we might end up a little bit better than that. But moving on, uh, at 11th, Aston Villa, 12th, West Ham, 13th, Leicester, 14th, Crystal Palace, 15th, Leeds, 16th, Forest, and 17th, Wolves, and the rest are truncated. But, um, yeah, I just thought that was an interesting confirmation of where people think uh, things might end up. And, again, Thanks to Cottage Analytica for providing some really, really great content. We we all appreciate it. 
And uh, just a comment uh, coming in from from uh, William Densky. Realistically, you couldn't be too upset to finish uh, finish up at tenth. Absolutely. Um, and you know, we 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 hope for better because obviously there's some European football um, potentially within our fingertip grasp at the moment. But if you offered us tenth at the start of the season, we would have bitten your hand off for it. Yeah, and look, I, I think I'd be surprised if Aston Villa crept up to 50 points from here. They're, they're not a terrible team, but I don't think they're performing that well. But you can see the gap there from, in the projections at least, from Fulham to West Ham where you've got 11 points between tw- basically the top and the bottom half. And the other thing I'll point out on this tweet is the less than 1%. That's less than 1%. The far left column is the p- likelihood of winning the Premier League. The middle column is the likelihood of making the top four, and the right-hand column is the likelihood of relegation. So Fulham are now less than one percent likely to be relegated. I think the um, they release a, a little dashboard card as well, and Fulham's likelihood of relegation is zero point zero four percent. So you know it's as good as zero at that point. So let's move on to this final slide here as well. Um, where we're just going through some stats. I'm sorry that it's very small on the screen for those following on the live stream, but Dad, maybe you can walk us through each of these and and why they're important and why they're good tweets and and the account that they come from as well, so people can follow along. Yeah. So <laughs> full dis- full disclosure, it's pretty small for me as well. Um, so the the first one is from the other fourteen. It also puts out some really interesting analysis and stats. Um, So thanks for that. And it says uh, this particular graphic and table is the leaders in chances created with with breakdown by open play and set pieces. Um, And the highlight here is um, Andreas Pereira in uh, second position, um, second only to the much lauded uh, Kieran Trippier. Um, and as Jack was commenting on a little bit earlier, um, he's actually, um, you know, creating a, a, a huge amount of um, chances and opportunities from set pieces uh, compared to the likes of James Ward-Prowse, who, who is much lauded as this, you know, not, not, not I, I shouldn't be too harsh here, he he is a very 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 good quality um, set piece taker, but Andreas Pereira is actually creating more chances only by one, but notably more chances than uh, Ward Prowse um, from from set pieces. I think that's from, that's the key from set there. Pieces. And yeah. also, I look at the rest of that list as well, and I see James Madison name pop out. And he's been touted as, you know, potentially going to Chelsea not that long ago. Now Newcastle looking at him. And I guarantee he'll be going for 50-plus million. Um, James Ward-Prowse, I'm sure if Southampton end up going down this season, he'll be a 30, 40, 50 million player as well. Kieran Trippier's, you know, expected to be a 40 million player, maybe more. I, I think Andreas Pereira is grossly undervalued. And his output has been so superb this season, and we're, we're very lucky to have a player like that. And, um, yeah, he's doing really well. I'll just also shout out the other 14, as you have done, but 
just an explanation for people who don't know what the other 14 post. Um, they basically post statistics and, and very in-depth and detailed statistics, but what they do is they take out the um, acknowledged big six sides from the Premier League stats because obviously when you look at goal scorer charts, it's always dominated by Haaland and, um, you know, the players from the big clubs. De Bruyne dominates every chance as created and passing statistic there is. So it kind of gets a bit boring and doesn't show you um, how all the other teams are really doing. So what the other 14 do and highlight is how Fulham players are playing against the other sides that they're expected to compete against in the league. And so seeing Fulham players high up these lists prove that we're having a really good season and prove <laughs> why we're, we're in the place that we're at at the moment. Yeah, well said uh, and, and well pointed out. Um, the next one's from uh, Anthony B. Um, says, uh, just can't see how we, we, we keep him world-class. And this is a reference to uh, another, it's a retweet of another, other 14 um, table of analysis. And it's the table of the leaders in combined tackles and interceptions per 90. And um, oh, that's very small. I'm struggling to read that, but I'll do my best. Uh, I, I know who's at the top of the table and you can all probably guess, and it's Chao Polina, uh, but I'm actually really struggling, I'm sorry, to read the remainder in the list, Jack. I don't know if you can see that better than I can. No, apologies. He, what I can say is he's ahead by a, a country mile. Um, mm. they, they break it down into intercepts per, or, or tackles and interceptions per 90. Polina is over six. Um, there are three other players who are over five, uh, and then Kenny Tete comes in at 4.97, I think. Um but basically, Polina is just streaks ahead of every other player in that in that range. Um, his total there, he's the only person with over 100 tackles and interceptions this season. Um, and, you know, it, it shows how good a season he's having by the fact that um, Polina is showing up on the lists that include the top six as well. Oh, he's, he's streaks yeah. ahead. And unfortunately, this this is a very small image. And doesn't show everything, but I, I do recommend you jumping on to Twitter to look at the other fourteen to actually examine some of these stats because they're they're really impressive, especially when it comes to the Fulham players and how they're doing this season. Mm. And and the final one in this set of three is is, is again another uh, tweet from the other fourteen, um, and it's the total saves with breakdown by shot distance from the goalkeepers. And uh, in second place, we've got Bert Leno, um, second only to, uh, is it David Raya? David Raya of Brentford, yeah. He's also Ryer, having a very uh, Brent good season. Brentford. Uh, and I, I, I think you, perhaps the picture emerging there is the contribution that these goalkeepers who are having a great season is actually making to the overall team performance. Um, what's an, the, the interesting one there is, um, Pickford in third position of Everton, who aren't having a great season. Mm. But what that probably says is, you know, if he wasn't having such a blinder, they they'd be in a ridiculous position. Yeah, um, especially with the five saves from inside the box from Pickford, one of them against yeah, Fulham, yeah. which definitely won them a point. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and uh, the, the one thing, thing that that I picked out from that, sorry, is that. Um, 
Leno's nine saves from inside the six-yard box is insane mm. because once you once you're shooting from the inside the six-yard box, you you should be scoring. And the fact that Leno has made almost nine saves from inside the box, they're they're goal-scoring opportunities, hundred percent. And so that's saving us points by itself. And I saw another one which um, didn't make it into these tweets, unfortunately. You might have sent it through to me or I might have seen it myself. But Fulham have the biggest difference between actual goals conceded, which I think we're at 30 at the moment, and the expected goals conceded, which I think is at 41 or 42. Yeah, and I did see that. You could almost put that down to Leno's nine saves inside the six-yard box. Um, mm. <clears throat> so, you know, sa- saving those... The, the XG on those would be extreme. You're talking about 0. 0.7, oh. 0. 0.8, 0. 0.9. So it, oh. the, the stats do sort of even themselves out after a while. Well, but the stats are also telling a story that is sometimes difficult to put your finger on because you understand what they're doing overall. But, you know, th- this is this is proof and evidence in the data of the contribution these guys are really making. Mm. So that so, yeah, that, that's um, pretty much all I had from this week. I, there were a few others, but uh, uh, I, I thought that was interesting. And just a general thank you again, and we'll continue to do this because I, I think it's important to keep thanking and recognizing people who who are contributing uh, to the content that we all enjoy. So thanks, guys. Yeah, no, it's it's massively appreciated. All the people out there who do it, and they all do it for free as well, apart from. Peter Rutzler, um, but that's fair enough because he's a journo. Um, and us, but, and us who are making squillions, obviously. Yeah, obviously, but no, it's it's obviously hugely appreciated that the community comes together and Twitter's such a good place for information. I, you know, I know personally myself, Elton and Sam weren't weren't prolific Twitter users until we started this podcast, and now we're really understanding the value of of Twitter and how much information is out there and how many people are out there posting content about Fulham and so it's 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 become something that we rely on for our Fulham news and we we hope that the retweets that we we give from the That's So Craven account which I ask you all to follow um we hope that you know we we give you the information that you're looking for on on Twitter because it can be a little bit hard to find sometimes but when you're following accounts like Fulham Fan News and Cottage Analytica and White Noise MJG Cottage Talk Fulhamish you're getting really, really good stuff coming through on your feed constantly, and it's it's really worthwhile. It makes a massive difference to the experience of being a Fulham fan, following Fulham. Um, so, look, Dad, what we're going to do, we'll wrap it up there. As I said, we're hoping to come back. I'm hoping to podcast with Sam tomorrow, and we'll preview the Nottingham Forest game. And then on Sunday, we're likely to review the Nottingham Forest game as well and wrap up hopefully uh, a good week for Fulham and hopefully another win. Um so as, as I sort of said before, guys, we really appreciate all the support. Um, we r- would really love to keep growing our numbers of followers on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube. Um, you can find our podcast on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts and, and anywhere you get your podcasts. Um, please do like our content, share our content so that we can reach more Fulham fans and people can become part of the That's So Craven community as well and, and start to enjoy following Fulham a little bit more because you've got that little bit of extra content. Um, and we hope people are enjoying the live stream as well. Thanks to those who join in. Special thanks to William, who is a regular contributor and puts forward questions and, and comments while we're 
we're uh, recording these. So really appreciate it and really hope that that continues and grows going forward. Um, so anyway, Elton, thanks for your time today. Yeah, thank you. It was a good chat. And uh, just one, one thing I forgot to mention, actually, uh, again, White Noise, thank you so much for actually tweeting and asking and encouraging uh, your followers mm. and people on Twitter generally to support our podcast and follow us and um, and uh, li listen to, to our pod on a regular basis. So thank you again for that. Yeah, very generous really appreciate and very kind. And, and thanks to William there as well. Just another comment just to finish off. Thanks, gents. Always enjoy it when I can get on for the lives. We always appreciate having you on as well, William. So thank you for that. Um, and, yeah, as as you said, Dad, really big thanks to White Noise for his, his posts pushing the Fulham podcast. And there's a few people in the background as well we're working with, obviously working with Russ at Cottage Talk to try and get a few more appearances on his podcast. Um, keep an eye out for... Uh, FFC and me on Twitter, who's going to be posting some really interesting Fulham stories going forward, and we'll have a spot on Fulhamish. We're hoping to get him involved with that, so Craven as well going forward. So um, some big things happening in the coming weeks, and we're really hopeful that this podcast will continue to grow and we'll continue to put out really good content for everyone. So until next time, come on, you whites. <laughs>